Welcome, listeners, to Season 2, Episode 5 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we're watching one of my favorite recent horror movies, A Quiet Place from 2018. I wonder why we're watching the original when the highly anticipated sequel will be coming out so soon. Ooh. Ooh. I wonder. (laughs) But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we did not create this drink, but it is refreshing with some bitter and sour family drama. What's this? I did not make the drink, Kelly. What? I don't have anything in front of me except a glass of water. Oh, no. Well, you do have a... I have... You tried to recreate this drink. Well, sort of. The elements of it. Elements of it. The color and one thing that I don't like about it. There's three ingredients in the cocktail and there's two ingredients in your glass right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, we have a new sort of sponsor for Drinking and Screaming, Tuck Craft Kitchen, Woo! which is a restaurant, our favorite restaurant, actually. This is not an ad. This is literally, it is our favorite restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, in Gastown. It was more that we went to the restaurant that we really enjoy and asked, hey, can you sponsor us? And they were like, okay, which is awesome. But this is a, a drink from their menu. It's called the Scandinavian Daiquiri. And I chose it because, well, this is my favorite movie, so I'm Obviously, I need to make my favorite drink from my favorite place. And it's also really sour, which, again, I feel like kind of goes with the family dynamic featured in the movie. It's kind of been soured after traumatic events occurred very early on. Exactly. And it does have the color of like the sand path Mm -hmm. that's featured. It's very light and fragrant, but then has an anise root in the middle of it. That actually kind of looks like the creature if you squint a little bit. <gasps> I didn't even think about that. Oh, I thought that was the point. Totally. I thought <laughs> this all through. But what did you think of that cocktail? Because what we have in front of us is just lemon water with an anise star in it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why you did this to me. You could have just had me drink like, I don't know, a beer or something. And I'd be like, ah, yes, the Scandinavian daiquiri is delicious. I mean, you know how I feel about <laughs> anise roots. It's, it's, the, it's a prank on Kelly is what it is. Yes. Mm, a delicious fruity beverage that tastes like lemon and alcohol. Oh, what's this? You've made it bad. <laughs> Whereas when I have it, first of all, the cup it comes in is amazing. We took pictures of it, so you'll be able to see it. Uh, but it's like a long stem. It's similar to the one that we use for like our Annabelle drinks. Yeah, it's kind of dainty a yeah. little bit. Anything that's like a sour or fragrant drink, cocktail, like a cocktail that wouldn't have a lot of soda water or like Coke in it. So no filler. It's mostly just, it's just alcohol. liquor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would be served in one of these glasses, which I love. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the drink is so sour, which I love. And recently, fun fact, because I've been so sick. I can't taste as good. Oh. Which that's like normally a thing when you get like a cold, you kind of lose your sense of taste because a lot of your taste comes from your sense of smell. But now my sinuses have been so inflamed and so injured for so long. I just losing my sense of smell and taste. So I don't have to shower or anything anymore? Yeah. Perfect. Don't make me food. Just make me hot mush. Yeah. I'll make you just disgusting food and then put a really (laughs) strong flavor in it. 
But cheap food. Is saying something about how great Tux drinks are that I could still taste them. Yeah, there's a reason you keep going back for some reason. <laughs> and they have really good food. If you ever go there, you should get the crispy eggs. They're only four bucks. And it's like a deep fried. It's like a tempered scotch egg. Yeah. It's really good. Ugh. And if you go, tell them that drinking and screaming sent you and... I'm sure something will happen for us. Yay. We have no deal made for that to happen. But if you walk in and say drinking and screaming sent me, then I'm sure they will be happy at us. It's true. There is a bit more information coming, but I'll leave that for our little break in the middle of the episode to tell you about it. So this week we watched A Quiet Place, which premiered on April 6th, 2018. It's written by Brian Woods, Scott Beck, and John Krasinski. Directed by John Krasinski, who plays Jim from The Office. And it's starring Emily Blunt as Evelyn Abbott, John Krasinski as Lee Abbott, Millicent Simmons as Regan Abbott, and Noah Jupe as Marcus Abbott. Which is funny, because you actually never hear any of their names in the movie that's true i wonder if they show up in the credits they must yes they do here's a synopsis that i wrote for you all i'm really trying to get in the hang of things of keeping it detailed but not too long so bear with me as we go through this but this one i think is pretty good good the opening of the film is on day 89 after the arrival of the alien creatures on earth the abbott family in a pharmacy is picking up medicine for marcus We see that the daughter is deaf and that the family can all speak American Sign Language, an incredible gift in a world where sounds will kill you. Bo finds a toy rocket ship in the pharmacy and he wants to take it home to play with as a symbol of their escape from this world. His father, Lee, tells him no, it would be too loud, but Regan takes out the batteries and gives him back the toy. We see Bo take the batteries off the counter before joining his family outside. And through the eyes and deaf ears of Regan, we see Lee turn back in horror as the rocket ship toy lights up and plays sounds behind her. The father runs to the back of the line to save his son, but is moments too late as we see an alien creature destroy the sun right in front of their eyes. He was like four. It's very sad. Yeah. We fast forward to day 472 after the arrival of the creatures, and we see that the Abbott family is thriving on their family farm with many provisions and smart security measures to remain silent. Still reeling from the death of Bo, a new baby is along the way with a due date coming up soon. They have crafted a soundproof box with a baby-sized oxygen mask inside and are continuing to soundproof their basement for when the baby arrives. We see that there is a particular strain of relationship between Regan and her father. The next day, Marcus and Lee are learning survival skills by the nearby waterfall. Regan visits her brother's empty gravesite and Evelyn does some laundry downstairs, causing a nail to come up on one of the floorboards on the stairs with a laundry bag. She spends some time in Bo's old room before her water breaks. So she heads back downstairs to turn their farm light bulbs onto the red setting. But she steps on the nail on her way down, causing her to drop a framed family photo, which makes a lot of noise. And then the creatures arrive at the house. Meanwhile, Lee and Marcus are learning about sound and how some sound can be safe as long as bigger sounds are nearby, such as the waterfall. On their way home, they come across a dead old woman and her grieving husband who screams in order to commit suicide, which draws the creatures. Lee picks up Marcus and they run to safety where they see the red lights and creatures entering the farmhouse. With his newfound confidence, Lee is able to set off fireworks nearby to draw the monsters away from the house, which Regan sees making her run home. (laughs) 
The parents are together after Evelyn's terrifying scene of giving birth in the upstairs bathtub with the monsters just outside. The fireworks saved her just in time. And the kids are together on top of the farm's grain silo, trying to signal other nearby families who end up not answering them. And Marcus falls into the grain silo and begins to be sucked in like as if he's in quicksand. So then his sister jumps in after him and there's a whole bunch of noise. And then the creatures are drawn to the silo and then Lee runs to save them. But on their way back to the house, they get separated by a creature and Lee has to sacrifice himself in order to save his kids, but not before signing to Regan that he has always loved her, which makes me cry every (laughs) single time. Back at the farm, the kids are reunited with Evelyn. Evelyn, Evelyn, I don't know. Evelyn? Sure. And they kick alien butt after discovering that Regan's cochlear implant built by her dad is their weakness, making their armor weaken as their sonic head plates open up to deal with the feedback from the implant and the radio. That's my sonic implant. (laughs) I didn't really know how to explain the creatures like heads, but basically whenever they listen, they like open up they look like pineapples and then the different sections of the pineapple open up and then there's ears inside that's true every part of the pineapple is an ear but then when they get that feedback it all kind of like explodes they're like still attached it's not actually exploding but you can see that like struggling to deal with this it's like they have to open up their carapace to feed the sound into their body and when the feedback happens it like rips their carapace from their skulls and like opens it up yeah So it's It's really cool. It's really weird that an entire military force never figured any of that out. It probably was so fast. I guess. We'll have to see the second one because I'm pretty sure they deal with that. Because the trailer is like the opening of of the awfulness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speaking of trailers, hit me with that trailer audio. It didn't show too much. I mean, it didn't really show the creatures at all other than being like obscured by trees and stuff. Yeah. Which is good. It definitely made it feel more action packed than the movie actually is. Yeah, that's fair. I guess in the later part, like during the climax, it's very action packed, but it's much more slower paced up until that point. Yeah. I also thought it was weird that the music they have wasn't the music that they play. I wonder if that trailer came out before they finally scored the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Or they didn't want to they didn't want to ruin the surprise of the music. I don't know. But it was still good of trailer music. Yeah. Uh, it, had, yeah. it had the like classic like. Yeah. Horror movie now. Horror movie music. Trailer for a horror movie. Dun, dun. Yeah. Which uh, so it was kind of stereotypical, but I feel like for a trailer You kind of have to be sometimes, especially if it's playing before, I don't know, another action packed movie. It didn't give away that the little kid dies either. I thought they were going to give that away. Heavily implies. (laughs) I was glad. Well, he could have reached them in time or whatever. That's true. You don't know. 
They do that in all horror f- film trailers of like, someone's in peril. Yeah. Cut before we see what happens. And then in the film, they make it out okay. They just kind of duck a little bit as the axe hit them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. Yeah, but, it's good. Yeah, I liked it. I'm glad I didn't. I'm trying to remember if I had seen a trailer. I knew that I really wanted to see this movie when it was coming out. We saw it with Chris, my brother, who was visiting from Montreal at the time. And we didn't see it in an actual like Scotiabank or like big name theater. Whatever yeah, you we saw it at the Rio. Yeah, which is like a historic theater, which is cool. So I did it even play like in a big name theater here. I don't re- remember why we went and saw it. I think it did. I think Rio. we just missed it. Maybe it was late. I also don't remember what made you really want to see it. It's probably just Jim. It was Jim <laughs> being in it, wasn't it? <laughs> You're like, oh man, Jim's going to be in a movie. Sweet. And I'm excited for him to look at the camera and kind of squint a little bit when the monster shows up. Heck yeah. Yeah. No, because I can't remember if I actually saw this trailer or not. Um, or if I had seen a teaser or if I just had heard about the concept and was like, I need to see it, which kind of sounds like me. I mean, most of the time for these kind of movies, it's a novel beforehand and you read the novel. That's true. And then you're like, man, I'm excited for the movie to come out now. But not this one. No. <gasps> Although, is this what made me watch read Bird Box? Probably. I would imagine. Yeah. You were like, I need more sensory horror in my life. And then Bird Box came out like, yeah, right after. That's funny. Speaking of, that segue is perfect. See, I can segue too into my <laughs> thought, which is that this movie falls into a co- category that I've seen a lot more recently. I imagine like right after watching uh, A Quiet Place, it kind of like started showing up in my mind to look out for these. Mm. But I'm naming it. What if we couldn't use one of our senses horror? And I'm using the ability to make sound as a sense here just to fill in, just to make my point make more sense. Yeah, I like speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So we got uh, this. We got Bird Box. We got The Silence, which is also don't make noise. Uh, We have Hush, which is I can't hear anything. And there's probably like a bunch more out there. But uh, I think it's a really cool horror style because uh, it creates like a discussion of how like normally able-bodied people would have to adapt to basically losing one of their senses. Yeah. Or like they die if they use it. Which is like integral to this, especially a quiet place of how the daughter has been deaf for so long. I don't think she was born deaf. Oh, you think it was like degrading or or what's it called? Well, she has a cochlear implant, so I'm not sure if that means that she was able to hear before. I'm very, I don't know much about the deaf community. Yeah. But, But, um... They were lucky because that's definitely why they lived because they could speak American Sign Language. Yeah, exactly. So they must have learned for her. And then it just came in handy when the hearing beasts appeared. Yeah, because not for sure, not being able to communicate like we rely so much on speaking, especially like in podcast form. (laughs) But uh, yeah, you would be fucked. Yeah. So it's cool like to think of. Like, what if they made a horror movie where you couldn't feel anything or like, would would being stabbed be a problem because you can't feel it? Like, what if you get injured and you don't know and stuff like that? Or like, what if I can't see like Bird Box? It's it's a really cool genre, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they did this one in a good way because it makes this like very soft, calm movie when everyone's being really quiet. And then, like, you jumped at every single jump scare because watching this again. Because loud music. Yeah. I've seen it so many times and I still <laughs> jump. And it's like, 
it, it makes all of the noise so effective yeah. because they're not allowed to make noise. This isn't in the scaredy facts, but I heard that a lot of theaters suffered um, concession stand profit because everyone knew how important sound was in this movie. So people like didn't buy popcorn or oh, anything. Sick. <laughs> so yeah, fuck you Cineplex. I was going to say, was there like the, um, you remember when we watched, was it a last Jedi? I think the eighth star Wars. And there's that moment where Holdo like runs the ship through the other ship and it's like dead quiet. Like there's no audio whatsoever. Mm. And people actually went to the front and complained. There's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Like the movie is wrecked because you guys missed this one scene or whatever. I wonder if people, when this movie started, they're like, why is no, there's no noise in this movie. What's going on? (laughs) But you do hear, they specifically highlight Regan being deaf yeah. Really well. Like we still hear sounds like the f- footprints and whatever. The rustling of pills and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, why is there subtitles? I hate movies and subtitles. I hate reading. God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's really cool. I would like to see more movies where it's like remove one sense and see how you do. Yeah, me yeah. too. People say that A Quiet Place or Bird Box rips off A Quiet Place, but Bird Box came first. Nice. The book. So John, so people know. John Krasinski just ripped off Bird Box. Yeah. But it has, it's not even ripping off. It's no, I can't look at it. But or the concept is this like the idea. But see what you're it's counter to your point of like there's actually so many movies that are like this in this genre that you've just. Yeah. Named. I mean, so if we're going to say things that ripped things off, the creature from Bird Box is like they're a Japanese Oni that you're not allowed to look at it or it'll make you crazy. Mm. Like you hear it behind you and you're not you can't look. Don't turn around. And then the creature's like, hey, look at me. Hey, you. Hey, look at me. Oh, that's creepy. I don't like that. Yeah, it's fucking I rad. would so look. <laughs> I would look and then I'd be like, oh no. <laughs> if you're walking down the street and you heard someone behind you whispering like all over your shoulder, like, hey, look at me. Hey. Or just saying, hey, like I would look. Look look over here. I would instinctly <laughs> look. I wouldn't know. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I would I don't I wouldn't hear them because I'd have my headphones in. Yeah. I'm a woman. I can't walk with headphones in. That's true. You're <laughs> legally not allowed to. <laughs> What's your next point? My next point is, um, so there's a whiteboard in Jim's office. Are you just going to call him Jim? The yes, whole time? I will. I've already <laughs> forgot his name. It's Lee. Jim. Uh, so there's a white, <laughs> there's a whiteboard in his office. Um, that's such a good example of visual storytelling because it gives you such a good idea of all the information that the characters know about the creature and just how much information that we as the viewer should actually care about need to know yeah Yeah. that's true so even if we didn't know where they came from like i know there are like newspapers and stuff that say they came from the stars and shit like that but if we didn't pay attention to that if we look at this uh whiteboard literally all it says is creature blind attack sound armor double underline confirmed three in area what is the weakness and then like the weakness is highlighted and stuff Mm -hmm. and that's literally the creature that's all you need to know about the creature yeah it's blind don't make sound and it has armor there's three here but we're trying to figure out what its weakness is yeah and um, then they have you see like the security setup that they have of like all the video cameras and stuff yeah like the rest of the complexity of his desk just shows like how prepared he is to monitor these things but yeah if, even if you don't pay attention to what any of those things are just that one whiteboard gives you so much information to 
like make put you right into the middle of like, oh, okay, I know where we are with these these creatures. Yeah. Sweet. They're really smart people. Like they have provisions for like years. You see them like they just pan over it and there's so much stuff in jars oh, yeah. that they've made. It's the, really cool. I think there was on the whiteboard there was also survival and it's like medical supplies and sound padding. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Which also I think it's extremely important considering she's pregnant. So they're going to need a lot of medical supplies and babies suck and are yeah. noisy. When they first revealed that moment, I was like, what the fuck? What are they going to do? And then they showed the box that they made. And I was like, that's genius. <laughs> the box with the oxygen tank. Yeah. Cause I mean, they're pretty smart people because it looks like he's an engineer and she's a doctor. Like the fact that he's able to like craft the implant for his daughter mm. means that he has some sort of engineering training. Uh, and yeah, she's clearly a doctor with the amount of knowledge that she has of like pills and she does her own like tests and stuff while she's pregnant. I feel like that could be found in a book. You think? Yeah. Cause they have to be farmers. That's their farm. Is it their farm? I think so. Or did they show up to a farm? I feel like that's harder to learn than like how to take your own blood pressure. Is farming? Yeah. I feel like you could probably learn farming in a book. Like it would take you a bit probably, but, um, especially if a farm is like equipped with all the necessary things to farm. I don't know. It'll probably be covered in a quiet place too. Yeah. Either she's driving from the hospital after work or they're driving <laughs> to town to get supplies for their farm. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see, mm. but I, I don't, it could be, but I don't think there's actually any, uh, um, explicit information as to whether or not a, it's their farm or what the hell they did. Other than the fact that they seem very experienced with doctoring and engineering and prepping all the different kinds of veggies. Yeah. So I don't They're know. Just smart it's people, man. Smart. Yeah, exactly. They, I aspire to be them. If there ever was an apocalypse, I'm going to be probably one of the people that die extremely quickly. Oh no. Yeah. Just I'll a- take care of you, buddy. Don't worry. <laughs> He's know, sitting he'll, next to me on the couch purring like a little cutie pie. He'll run out and start hunting and then he'll find a stronger survivor <laughs> oh, and no. cuddle up with them. <laughs> you have to stay with me, buddy. I love you. <laughs> uh, my next point is uh, something about the chemistry between these parents was really good on screen. I felt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had this like uh, real good Unspoken emotional connection. Bond. Yeah. It was Jeez. interesting. Yeah, because they're married in real life. Yeah. Duh. So there you go. To get a lead role in a movie, all you have to do is be married to the writer and director. Yeah. And you're good to go. Shocker. Um, But it's cool because it's, it's like it's immediately after the trauma of losing their child. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of, hmm, I mean, not a lot of actors. Some actors would have problems expressing both the sadness of loss and still caring about the people that are around you. Yeah. And I feel like both John and Emily did a great job of like, you can see the sadness in John's face, but also he turns around and calls his wife beautiful and they have that loving dance. Yeah. That was such a nice moment. Mm-hmm. Like there was a cut between him looking at the implant he was working on and you can see like the stress and sadness in his face. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around and you can see like a brightness in his eyes as he's looking at her. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know. It's probably because they're good actors, but also I imagine them being married. They have a good time of like, uh, what's it called? Substitution. Uh, substituting, like thinking about how much they love each other. Yeah. Or how sad they would be if one of them got eaten by a sound creature. They don't even have to. Yeah. There's such a layer of connection and 
they don't, it's, it's so much easier because it, you don't have to add that layer. Yeah. yeah. Be, be happy now. All right. I will look at my wife. Hey, I'm happy now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be sad now. Oh, where's my wife? I'm sad now. <laughs> my wife makes me sad. <laughs> uh, there's something I wanted to say. Oh yeah. But in regards to like their relationship and dealing with the trauma, it's interesting to see because at the beginning of the movie, after the like opening 10 minutes, we see that everything Evelyn does is about like preparing for the new baby and everything that Lee does is focused on him missing his son. Yeah. But then as it goes on, they kind of like swap places because then the new baby arrives but she's been like in this whole trauma because she's been missing the son and she's been up in his room and then she drops the picture because she stepped on the nail, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then, so after the baby's born, she's saying like, I could have carried him. That scene is so good. Yeah, and she's really like good. talking about the guilt that she feels because her hands were free. And I just think about like any moment, any traumatic moment that a has gone in your life and you think about every last detail of how you could have changed it. Yeah. It's sad. And seeing that was, it was amazing. Oh, and then I was going to say, uh, John, then Lee says like, we got to stop like Jim. And, <laughs> and then he looks at the camera and he's like women. Ugh. Um, yeah, it's interesting too. I mean, kids are dumb. That kid, turned on a loud toy kind of yeah. he kind of deserved it that's, that's a darwinism moment they don't right know there. well then he wasn't gonna survive for very long he survived for like 80 days his death helped the other kids because now they were more fearful about being noisy yeah that fucked up marcus yeah. for life he, he was, was like so terrified he was more scared than ever yeah so the death of the young child really helped the older children <laughs> uh and my Final point, I feel like will probably be the only complaint about this movie said tonight. Um, I have a real problem with like literally the final seconds of this movie. There's a shot. Yeah. So like after this like incredible movie about a family dealing with loss and trying to work together to survive, there's like well-crafted cinematography. There's really nice music and emotional acting. You end with a fucking shotgun pump. Like it's. Every time I see that, I just expect the, like Rage Against the Machine to start playing in the credits. It's such a stereotypical like action movie ending. Yeah, it was. It did feel like a change of pace, but I also feel like it was that like last uplift that we get because like this family is fucking devastated now. Their dad is dead. There's a new baby that they're going to have to deal with without their dad. Yeah. It's and her moment of being like, I'm going to fuck you up now, monsters, for killing my husband. And it's really cool that we get to see Regan and Evelyn do this and be so cool. Like one, they're both ladies. Yes. Heck yeah. And like Lee or not Lee, Marcus is like cowering in the corner with the newborn baby boy. So it's literally the women protecting the men, mm -hmm. which this whole movie, actually, I didn't make this one of my points, but it's very like the men do the protecting and the outside tough work and the ladies do the laundry and the cooking, which I wasn't like such a fan of. Yeah. I mean, she was pregnant. So granted, she can't actually do she should not be doing heavy lifting or whatever. Uh, but it was a nice change of pace. That final scene is like, on the other hand, also really good for the deaf community. I imagine it's very empowering to see someone be a hero. And she is a hero because of her deafness. Like, yeah. It's awesome. And she thinks about it, too. She's like, well, this thing has been happening the entire time. Only while they're around, maybe I can use it against them. Yeah, she looks at the whiteboard and sees weakness. Yeah, she uses the debuff, and then her mom <clears throat> does all the DPS. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, and all of that's cool. And I think you could have probably done almost anything else. Like have them just kind of have a look. Yeah, a knowing like raise look up as the, the gun. Yeah, something like that. Because ending it with a shotgun cock, like I'm like, is this fucking the end of the Matrix with Neo flying towards the screen? That's fair. Which does then start Rage Against the Machine in the credits. <laughs> have you ever pumped a shotgun? You have because yeah, we did that we together. Went to the, we went to the gun range. When I was doing when i think of pumping a shotgun i've i mostly think of a moment the of live theater that i did back at john abbott college and that feeling and hearing that it's real like you feel powerful yeah guns are powerful and make you feel really strong and also guns are bad but um (laughs) maybe emily blunt was like i just love that moment and it was for funsies but you gotta include it now because it's so cool i love pumping the shotgun it feels so good i don't know oh man now i feel bad (laughs) i mean while we were at the gun range and i was like shooting the assault rifle or whatever i was like this is dangerous because this does feel cool to shoot and it's very powerful but i can and i can see why people would want it but man this should not be in the hands of people who want to aim it at other people yeah i was the complete opposite when we went there i was so stressed, which I did not anticipate uh, happening. Yeah. It was weird. I mean, pointing the gun at anything is kind of like they they instill with like, do not point this at anybody. Don't aim this barrel in a single person. Doesn't matter if it's empty. Like, do not. And you're like holding it like it's a bird. I can't <laughs> touch it. Yeah, I had to get them to load it. It was bad. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that's my only concern with or my only problem Wah. with this movie is that like the final beat of this movie is a fucking like action shotgun pump which mostly just sours me for being excited about two like i don't want two to start with that energy of like all right fuck the baby i just made let's me and my daughter are gonna kick down the door and run out into the field and just start shooting them yeah that's fair yeah i don't know what's gonna happen that's like one of my points i guess i could do that my last point first of i'm being scared i really am excited for a quiet place too. I'm so excited, but I'm trying really hard to not give it like impossible circumstances. Standards. To beat. Yeah. <laughs> impossible standards. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. It looks great. I saw the trailer and I am hype about it, but this movie is so good and I just don't want them to ruin it. <laughs> please, please be good. Yeah. I'm kind of trying to apply what we saw in the trailer for this one. Because when we watched the trailer for two, I was like, fuck, it looks so just like dumb, actiony, cars flipping everywhere and shit like that. And then I was like, well, the trailer for one was also all of the action scenes. Maybe everything we saw in the second one is like, that's it. That's all the action's going to be in. That's so funny. Because, yeah, I didn't take it like that. I took it as there was action in the trailer, but then mostly the theme was like, now they have to deal with the only other remaining humans who scarecrow. are going to be awful. Oh yeah. It's scarecrow being like, don't trust other people. They suck. And All the they people like, left. immediately they walk into a trap that makes noise. That's going to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's, a, and you all know how much I hate humans. So it, it looks a lot more like last of us now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also really good. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm going in with a lot of trepidation because uh, mostly how the first one ended. I yep. don't want everyone just like guns ablazing, like, fuck, we figured it out. Let's kill them, boys. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Then the end of the movie is Emily Blunt finding an alien rifle and picking that up and being like, shit, <laughs> <laughs> 
we're going to take a moment to talk about our sponsors and socials. This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you by Tuck Craft Kitchen. Talk about why Tuck is awesome. Oh, that's a note for me. Yeah. Tuck, Tuck is awesome. And we talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but it is our favorite place. We go there for anniversaries and Valentine's Day sometimes, and we're always treated very nicely. So if you do get a chance to go there, definitely go there. Their drinks are always incredible. Uh, they have a really pretentious uh, chef who will not make any changes because his food is amazing. <laughs> and uh, we've been told that straight from the horse's mouth. So that's not me. Yeah. That's not me rude. insulting him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely check it out. I'm hoping that they will continue to sponsor us because that means that we get free stuff from them, which is great. Like the drink we had today, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. We didn't actually drink it today. We drank it. Yeah, you can get the drink that we featured, the Scandinavian Daiquiri. They also changed their menu since literally the last time we went like a week ago. Yes. So they're going to have all new drinks that we have to try now. But I think that one is on their, like, always there list. Yeah, they've so got their, be okay. like, standards. Yeah, but they do swap things up, which is really cool. And if you need a little help getting there, because it is a little ex- on the expensive side, they gave us some gift cards to give away. Yay! Whoa! Now, we could have just taken them ourselves, but we're going to give them away to you people. Because we have hearts. So to enter, I mean, I'm... It's, it's a business transaction because I'm not just going to give it to you. All you need to do is leave us a review. You can do that on Podchaser or on iTunes to be entered into the draw. All reviews received before March 20th are eligible to enter with the winner being announced on our March 23rd episode release and on our Twitter profile. So go ahead and leave us a review so you can get your own version of today's drink for free. I will say that I will mail it anywhere, but there is only one Tuck Craft Kitchen. So... Yeah, if you live in... Vancouver would be ideal. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I will mail it out and you'll just have to come to Vancouver to see it. Or you can give it to someone as a gift. Yeah, exactly. You could leave an address that you want us to send it to as a gift. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll communicate with you, the winner. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream. You can follow us on Facebook at Drink and Scream or email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. The best way for us to spread the word on the show is actually we need your help. You talking to other people about the show does miles more than us talking about the show. So please tell your friends, tell your family, subscribe them on Spotify without them knowing. So they just download our episodes and they pop up. Yeah, because if I go to my family and tell them I'm doing another podcast, they're like, no. Okay, cool. (laughs) Sounds great. But this one's different. What's this one about? Drinking again? Yeah. (laughs) You can also join us on Discord at bit.ly slash hopped up Discord. We love to interact with all our fans there. Um, Really join in on the conversation. Give us recommendations. Everyone's really, really chill. Come talk to us. Yes. Join the movement. That's what people say? I, don't I think know. it's join the conversation. Join the argument. Sure. Anyways, back to the episode. A quiet place. Jumping back to the beginning of this movie, um, the opening moment could just be a short film. It's true. I actually. remember on the Sky Train home talking extensively about that opening 10 minutes when they're in the pharmacy and, and then the, it ends with the little boy dying. Oh, I have no words. They just tell so much and I have no words, but let me try and make words. <laughs> they t- tell so much in so little time. And there's so much relationship dynamics that we see of like 
Regan with all her brothers. Like she was worried about the older brother. And then she's like trying to be nice to the little one who just wants to have a rocket. And the rocket is like a symbol of their escape. And then the rocket comes back at the end of the movie with the fireworks, which he calls a rocket. I'm like, oh, my God. But yeah, that uh, so good. Yeah. Now that you mention it, like a lot of the horror movies we watch originated from a short film. And you can almost imagine John being like, hey, I shot this short film of just me and my family trying to scavenge for goods and then getting attacked. And they're like, all right, full length movie. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. Even the like rocket could be like a metaphor or not a metaphor, but like foreshadowing from the fact that the alien that they're aliens that came to Earth. Yeah. Because we don't know anything at the beginning. It's just like desolate. Yeah. Be quiet. Do not make sound. Yeah. And it could be zombies or it could be aliens yep i mean it is aliens or it could be zombies (laughs) (laughs) my next point is that i want to highlight the music and i know that we're trying to stray away from playing things that are not our music i mean i'll probably play music for you talking about this fact because or this thought because people need to hear it yes know what you're talking about so I looked it up and the whole soundtrack is on Spotify. It's written or composed by Marco Beltrami. So you can just find it by looking up A Quiet Place. But please play the music because it's so good. Do you want me to play Song of Sacrifice? Sure. The one that plays when Jim sacrifices himself? Because that's the song that I immediately think of. Yeah? Yeah. All right, here we go. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> and the whole like, not from that song, but yeah, like, do that's I have another, to play that song now? No, but just like that theme that comes back over and over is super good too. And oh, there's, there's not much dialogue in the movie. So I guess they would really heavily rely on sound design, obviously, because there's that's like one of the main elements of going to see a film is what's in your eyeballs and what's in your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the music is its own character, I find, in this film. Yeah, that makes sense. And I really like it. I love that character. <laughs> I don't know if you got this when we first watched it, but I almost like going with the music being its own character. I was like, music, go away. You're being too noisy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which like even in the theater, like you could hear a pin drop. And this was the first uh, movie that I ever saw at the Rio. Oh, yeah. And you were telling me like, oh, yeah, it's like a it's not like a real theater. It's uh, they're more respectful there because they like film and aren't just going at for on the afternoon with their friends. But that's not how you said it. You just said like it's not a cineplex. It's like a, I forget the word. Historical used. theater. Yeah. Yeah. And then in my brain, I was like, oh, no, it's not a normal theater. Like people are going to be more rowdy is what oh, I thought weird. because there's also like you can drink there. Yeah. Um, but it was completely the opposite, which was great. Because it it would it would have been ruined almost seeing it at a regular theater. I feel yeah, with people texting and stuff. So quiet. Which actually now it that was I'm a thinking really quiet it, place. It was that movie theater was a quiet place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I'm worried because I want to see the new one right away. Fuck, I don't know. We went to see The Invisible Man and literally the entire time there was a dude in front of me trying to Snapchat the movie. Why do people do that? Oh, it's like a social thing. Like I need I to prove that. that I'm at the movies and yeah, I, I, maybe I'm out of touch. I don't know. But if you do that, I'm going to kick the back of your chair. And if you complain about it, I'll kick you in the back of the head. <laughs> Nice. I will I will throw things at your phone until you either drop it or it gets food on it. Yeah. I, I hate. Yeah. 
super annoying. Like if you do it and don't bother people around you somehow, that's fine. But if someone kicks the back of your chair, which I did multiple times, fucking stop. Yeah. And then he had the audacity to stand up and like check back at me. And then I just ignored him. Good. Yeah. Dick. Mm hmm. I hate it. That's like, did I tell you the time I went to see Les Mis? No. And the teenagers next to me started singing. singing? Yeah. <gasps> Out loud? Yeah. And then they started like, taking selfies. Loudly. Yeah. Oh my God. And they were taking selfies of themselves while they were singing the, the lyrics. And I, that was the angriest I got with people like that. I literally turned to them and I'm like, can you shut up? And did they shut up? Yeah. Okay, good. Because I didn't do it in a polite way that the Canadian way of like, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Or like the dirty looks. There's yeah. like stages of, yeah. of appropriate, annoyed theater goer that you have to go through before you can literally be like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. There's the, there's the sl- <laughs> slight look at them if they're next to you. There's the like bumping Pointed their shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And then you eventually stand up and, and scream at them. them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Start just punching them until they either get knocked out or leave. Oh, man. Luckily, I've never gotten to that point. Phew. Yes. But uh, but no, the Rio was great. It was a very quiet place. <laughs> My last point, we kind of already talked about it because um, I wanted to just say how awesome John Krasinski's performance was in this film. And like, I know that you joke about not being able to not see Jim. What's a better way to say that? He's just Jim. Yeah. <laughs> but for me... I get lost in his performance every time. And I mean, he gets to work with his wife, Emily. So obviously that's like a treat for him, but not just because he gets to work with his wife, but because Emily Blunt is Emily Blunt. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. She's fucking fabulous. And it's so good that they, I want to work on, I mean, I'm doing it right now. I get to work on a passion project with my love. Wink. And that's what they get to do. Wink. And I'm like, oh, it's so good. I wish everybody could experience <laughs> this. Just do it. Especially when their significant others are talented. Yeah. Having then, a not talented significant other must suck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what that feels like. Um, and not to discount the kids either, because every performance in this film is top notch. There's not a single moment that you're like thrown off or like, oh, that's bad acting or anything. Those kids like really pull their own weight. Was it also was it just me or did those kids also kind of look like John Krasinski and Emily Blunt's kids? I mean, that's kind of the uh, point. Like good casting. Yeah. But like I was looking at them. I'm like, not only these kids kind of have similar features to each other, but they kind of have similar features to both Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. Nice. I know that this is a scary fact. I'm jumping ahead, but um, the family photos on the wall are a lot of like Emily and John with their actual kids. Oh, cool. When they're younger. Nice. Which is cool. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. What a nice segue. Oh, into what you might ask. Scaredy facts. Boom. So every week we invite you into the cozy little crookling of our bed. I don't know. That was a weird, weird way to that say was that. That was a weird way to describe it. But um, in our real lives, whenever we watch horror movies, we uh, snuggle up on the couch or under the covers and we read trivia facts together. And we thought that this would be an excellent segment to do in our podcast. So I did the scaredy facts this week and I start with the budget, which was an estimated 17 million opening weekend in the U.S. alone. They made 50 million. Jesus. The gross USA amount is 188 million, <laughs> but worldwide they made 341 million dollars. Wow! From 17 million, <laughs> which is a lot. But like, so what was, the hell? 
Oh, so it was considered a failure then. Is oh what yeah. You're saying. Utter, yeah. Yeah. Failure. Just a, just a flop. flop. They're, they're not going to do a sequel or anything. That sucks. Poor John <sighs> has to go back to Jack Ryan. <laughs> That's not too good. Actually. I've heard that that isn't that good. Really? Yeah. I, it didn't look good. <laughs> It's a, I haven't seen it. It's but a television it's show good. based on like the novels that you get in an airport. Oh, okay. Well, The Office is good. <laughs> yeah, not based on novels that you get at an airport. No. All right. Scaredy fact number one. Actress Millicent Simmons, who plays uh, Regan. Regan? Shit. I don't know. Who plays the daughter, <laughs> has been deaf since infancy Ooh. due to a medication overdose. This was the second film she starred in with Wonderstruck from 2017 being the first. And the device that Regan wears is not actually a hearing aid. I kind of talked about this already, but a cochlear implant, which indicates that Regan has a sensor, a sensor neural hearing loss, which means that her inner ear has sustained some sort of damage. So the cochlear implant translates vibrations in the air into nerve impulses that the brain perceives as sound. Oh, that's cool. So, I, yeah, I tried to do some research about deafness in general because I don't really I mean I'm not deaf and I don't know anyone who's deaf so mm-hmm. I very it's a very interesting world so it makes her like a bat yeah kind of she picks up sonars and then it converts it into brain waves yeah that's cool Which, it's also cool that they hired an actual actress who is deaf for a deaf part yes thank you representation snap 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 Cochlear implant processors don't uh, traditionally make any sound at all. They just send the electric impulses to the implant inside the cochlea, which stimulates the nerves and is perceived as sound. So at the end of the movie, when Regan holds her processor to the microphone and it's amplified through the loudspeakers, it shows that the processor is making this feedback sound that the creatures can hear rather than just electrical interference that they can like otherwise detect mm. and this could only be possible through the modifications that Lee made to the processor so in addition to the small amplifiers he says that he added from the stereo which only converts sound from the microphone into a digital signal he would also have needed to add a receiver that he may have sourced from uh, the pile of hearing aids that you can see he has on his desk which can then convert the digital signal into audible sound. Wow. So he like full on saved his daughter and his family with his trying to make her be able to hear. Which now I'm like, is she going to have that as a weapon in two? Like that's, that's the thing I wonder about too, is like she ended with basically like the ultimate weapon against these creatures. So it's either going to be that the conflict is she almost immediately loses it or people, which you said. Yeah. Yeah. But it is cool. I like that, that his whole goal in life was to protect his kids. And he did it in the final moments, even though he had already died. And that was such a good reveal. We didn't really talk about it. But when she finally goes into the basement, because she's not allowed in the basement, and then she sees like his piles of hearing aids that he's collected and like books and everything and all his equipment from him working, like slaving away, creating these devices for her to try and help her. It yeah. was a really nice moment. She assumed that he did not love her. But he did. He spent almost all waking moments doing stuff for her. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Okay, next fact. <laughs> the filmmakers purchased 20 tons of corn and they hired local farmers to grow it. Oh, nice. So all the corn was actually like a real pro- a real set? Yeah. Nice. Real, real farm, real corn. That's cool. There's a factual error. Uh, the scene in the grain bin where the kids are sinking into the corn is like totally not something that would happen. Oh, yeah. Because the I didn't know this, but the danger, which is actually fatal, would only happen uh, is a 
when a person sinks like that is because the grain is being removed from the bottom of the bin. So then it'll like create a suction and you'll get drawn down and suffocated. But if the grain is just stationary, you're fine. Yeah, I was thinking that I'm like, there's no way that like a big pile of corn is going to sink you in. That's like literally just sand. It's just big yeah. sand. If well, you I mean, stand on quick a sand, but, <laughs> but it wasn't even wet. Like if you stand on a beach, you don't sink into the sand because you're flopping around. Yeah. It's pretty hard. Yeah. So that was interesting to read about. Um, something that's interesting. The film's director and lead actor, John Krasinski played the monster in a motion capture suit for a few of the scenes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Cause he's fucking giant. John Krasinski. That's true. He is really tall. He's massive. So yeah, that probably. makes sense. I don't have any other information than he did. And they, could they not hire Andy Serkis? <laughs> I wonder if Andy Serkis plays the creatures in other scenes. True. Maybe. Um, Something that was funny, I didn't include it, but let me just tell you about it anyways. A lot of the test screenings, people were laughing and the team was like, fuck, like we've really hit, missed the mark. But then it's because some of the scenes were unedited and it was like John Krasinski oh. in a mocap suit, <laughs> like crawling around, which they thought was funny. That's, so. I thought it was going to be that John kept playing pranks on the creatures. <laughs> Yeah, Jello yeah. everywhere. Put all their sensory overload things in Jello. He wrapped up uh, the stairs in Christmas wrapping yeah. paper, but then when they went to step on the stairs, they disappeared. He pretended to be dead in the locker, and then <laughs> they were like, "Man, I wanted to kill him!" Click, 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 click. And then there was blood on the wall, and it said the creatures did it, and they're like, "I didn't!" Click, 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 click. <laughs> Uh, Brian Woods and Scott Beck's original screenplay contained only one line of voice dialogue. Since the characters communicate in American Sign Language to avoid making sound, filmmakers hired deaf mentor Douglas Ridloff to teach ASL to the actors and to be available to make corrections on set. The movie only contains about 25 lines of voice dialogue, and the first line of voice dialogue isn't spoken until 38 minutes into the film. Wow. That's a whole episode of The Office and halfway into a second one. Oh. And it was actually initially intended to leave the American Sign Language unsubtitled. Oh, that'd be cool. So they thought that the audience would understand the subtext of what was going on, which I do believe. Uh, notably, the first trailer, the one that we watched, didn't have any subtitling at all. Yeah. But then when editing the sequence where Regan argues with her father um, about the hearing aids, the filmmakers decided that that moment would need to be subtitled. So then they had to subtitle so the then, rest of the movie. Yeah, they just did it all. I don't know. Seeing John like reach for her ear while holding the hearing aid or the cochlear implant and then her like pushing him away and then him being on his knees and her basically like signing for him to stop. I feel like you could probably get the context of that. Yeah. And then when we go to her bedroom and she like throws it on the bed and then she tries it and then you see the devastation of it not working again. Yeah. I feel like it would work. Be interesting. And then it would also be like a bonus for people that actually spoke ASL. Yeah. Like, like whenever there's a movie that has uh, French in it. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, ooh, I know. And they don't subtitle it. And I'm like, ooh, I know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. There's been a, I've been watching a lot of Marvel movies again, and there's been several instances of that where I don't know if I'm just missing the subtitles. Like I watched Black Panther and they speak their native language a lot to each other. And I'm like, I can't remember if these were subtitled or not. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a little snippet. And um, I took it. 
one, because it's interesting, but also because we don't have any information on the truck featured or the shotgun. I'm very sorry, Kelly. But what I do oh, have man. is that the bridge featured in the movie, you know, the, 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 the iconic moment of them walking along that bridge and then the kid gets eaten. Yeah. Um, is the Wallkill Valley Rail Trail Bridge in New Paltz, New York. Wow. I wonder if it's supposed to be in set in New York like the. I think it is. Okay. Yeah. From the newspapers. I uh, am actually disappointed that there's no gun fact, only specifically because the shotgun they use has like this weird rail on the top that I haven't actually seen in other shotguns in like horror movies oh. and stuff. And I was curious if it was like a specially modified shotgun or if it's just like a special shotgun with a rail on the top. If anybody knows, please tell us. Message us at Twitter drink underscore scream. Yeah, you thought about it, but you got there. I got there. <laughs> Production designer Jeffrey Beecroft headed the creature design and special effects supervisor Scott Farr created the creatures themselves. Um, I just want to give them credit because the creature design was really cool. Mm -hmm. Simmons, uh, one of the screenwriters, actually made John Krasinski cry on set with the suggestion to change one of the integral moments of the script. So during the climactic scene, when Lee and his kids are separated and the kids are like in the truck and you know that John's going to die. Damn it. Lee is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> the original script um, just had him signing. I love you. But then on the day Simmons suggested to him that he should sign. I have always loved you. Yeah. And that moment made Jim cry. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah, it makes me cry every time I fucking see it. It's such a good idea. And it's a last minute addition. Yeah, it works really well, too, because it's more specific because like I love you could just be like, I'm sacrificing myself. I love you. But I always loved you is like specifically dealing with her, her problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She was like, you don't love me. You know, oh, man, great. when so they good. were on the like grain silo and the son is like, he's going to come for us. And then she says, he'll come for you. He's not going to bother, like basically implying he's not going to bother trying to save me. It's yeah. so sad. It's also really powerful because you don't really since deaf people aren't really represented well in movies. The idea that when you're just done talking to someone, you can turn away from them. Because when she says that he turns away from or she turns away from him so that he can't talk to her anymore. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that's like strong. And that could be a really good visual thing to show for a deaf character in a movie. Yeah. And you like rarely see it done. Newborn twins Ezekiel and Evangelina Cavoli played the unnamed baby Abbott. Oh. Everyone on set was very nervous about putting the babies in the padded box, but the parents were super supportive and the scenes were shot as quickly as possible to minimize any possible risk. But I wanted to include that fact because we always talk about, man, it would be so cool if you were like a baby in Friends or a baby like in a movie. Yeah. So yeah, their names are Ezekiel and Evangelina Cavoli. So what? So two years? Okay, they probably wouldn't be able to watch this movie yet. Not yet. But at some point, they'll get to watch the movie and they'll be like, hot damn, that's me getting put into a box. Woohoo! And then the other one will be like, no, that's me getting put into the box. I'm older. <laughs> I did all the stunts. <laughs> My last fact, I saved it for the end. Uh, it's kind of cool, kind of funny. The bathtub scene when Emily Blunt gives birth and it's like super terrorizing and traumatic. Done in one take. Nice. And then immediately, John Krasinski says, immediately after he said cut, she like fell, falls out of character and she just like turns to the crew. And she's like, what are we having for lunch today? <laughs> just, uh, I'm curious, you know? And she just like goes into conversation. That's cool. Which, I mean, I always find it interesting when people include these fa these trivia facts because it's like, 
I don't understand how actors can like do their job. Yeah, actor acted. And Here, then they stopped? <laughs> Here's the fact. And then they actor were acted. then they were normal again and I just don't get it. Um I mean, I know when I go and I'm I'm working at the coffee shop or like I'm working in an office and I get home, I have to still be working. <laughs> For a little bit. I need to come down. I need to I need to process a bit of data. I need to ask my partner what kind of coffee they want and what size. I cannot just cut it off. <laughs> but I don't want to actually come across as um condescending. I do. I want to yeah. come across as condescending. <laughs> condescending. But also there are definitely like certain ways. It depends on the the way that you work as an actor, because there is some things can stay with you and be really heavy. Yeah, I would and, imagine. Uh, you actors do take their work home with them a lot. Um, so it's nice to see that she wasn't affected by that. I think scene. they're supposed to leave the dailies at the set. <laughs> they shouldn't take those home with them. Stop this bit. <laughs> I, this is dumb. But after that scene, <laughs> when uh, when Jim comes back up to the bathroom and sees the blood and stuff, and then the like hand pops up and yeah. he opens it and she's there with the baby. <laughs> While we were watching, I was like, how'd she get that baby? And I genuinely made you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good dumb joke. Good job. my love. Good job. I want to know your final thought. Uh, Do you have one? I have a th final thought. Um, so like we said, when we watched this movie, it was in the like historical theater and it was like dead silent and any movie that can make an audience dead silent is an instant success to me. I mean, yeah. Like that was the that was the quietest I've ever heard a theater, which like the fact that you can immediately do a tone setter that's like shut shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and there like there were people once in a while eating like crinkly food and in the audience you could feel everyone's like tense, tense. up, which yeah. was just great. Such yeah. a good moment. I basically already said my final thought as well, which is just that I can't wait for a quiet place too. And it seems like humans are going to be the horror, which we all know that's my worst enemy. So good luck for Char. Be quieter. Humans will hear you. Fuck yeah. I would. Oh man. Fuck. I mean, the house was devastated. So we know that they can't stay there. Like they won't be able to fix it with a newborn baby. Yeah. I mean, um, what's her name? Could probably help the daughter, Regan? the daughter. Yeah. Yeah. But still, I feel like there was so much like the pipe broke. That's fair. I imagine that the shotgunning and like the devastation there was a, a lot like there was so much damage. Like they had done so much work. I feel like the movie will probably start with a bigger conflict as to why they need to leave other than the house is messed up. Oh, yeah. Up. Like I, there's going to be some time before or, or after. I mean, yeah, like maybe they'll continue to try to live there and then something will happen. Maybe humans will come and they have to leave. That's true. I guess the kids will also look older. Yeah. Regan, I think, is how old do you think the character is? I was going to guess like 13, 14. Yeah, about that. But the Marcus is younger and he will because he's a boy. You'll really notice that He'll change right in a year. Yeah. It's like the brother in Halloween Town. I'm so excited, <laughs> but I'm so nervous. If it's bad, at least we'll still have a quiet place one. True. It'll ne they'll never take that away from us. <laughs> My childhood would never, never be destroyed. Well, that's been A Quiet Place, a movie about an ordinary paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> 
<laughs> you didn't see that I wrote that. <laughs> I try not to look at what you write <laughs> because I want to have genuine reactions. <laughs> Next week, we'll be watching Friday the 13th, Part 2, 1981, which I'm realizing I had chosen us to release on Fridays because <laughs> Friday the 13th. So now you're going to get an episode two days after. Yay. <laughs> and remember, always scream responsibly. Yeah. Bye.